And I'm going to give a little bit of an overview of the book as well. But we're going to start with uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 19. If your Bibles are open, uh, read along with me silently. You don't have to read out loud. Uh, there is that pra- practice that's done sometimes. I mean, we've done it occasionally, but uh, just read along with me. I'm in the New King James. If you have a different version, uh, do your best to kind of make, match it up. Starting with verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb, an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father. And do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Let's pray. Father, we just enter into this new study written and, uh, Lord, just inspired by your Holy Spirit. And we pray now that your Spirit would breathe life into this Bible study tonight. We know that your words, just being read aloud, have power. Sharper than any two-edged sword can discern our thoughts and the intents of our heart. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to each and every person, even me speaking, that you'd speak to us that which you want us to hear. But we would not only be hearers of these words, but doers also. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm really glad to begin this series. One of the names of Jesus, you know from the book of Isaiah, many of you probably know, is wonderful what? Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Don't you like that name of the Lord? Wonderful Counselor. And we all need wisdom. We all need understanding. We need direction in all the facets of life. There's so many things that come our way, uh, even weekly, daily, that what do I do? Left turn, right turn, as far as decision making. But we have to, when we understand the counsel that God gives... We have to accept his counsel and apply his counsel. We have to apply it in our lives because that's the key. Application in our life is the key to genuine spiritual growth. If you're here tonight and you're taking notes, uh, I've titled our time in God's Word tonight, The Foundations of Wisdom. The Foundations of Wisdom. And we'll look at two things from the text primarily Uh, What to know and what to avoid. I'll get to those in the slides so you kind of know where we're at in the study. Uh, But we'll look at what to know 
and what to avoid. And that's really just in those first 19 verses, those are the kind of uh, the two uh, areas that Solomon addresses out of the gate, kind of the uh, prologue, if you will, uh, to the book. I think without question, I've personally uh, read this book of the Bible more than any other book I've read the Bible since I became a Christian in 1995. How many of you think you've read Proverbs more than any other book? Okay. For me, it's, it's probably not close because so often I would read a proverb and uh, the Gospels and Epistles would be second uh, in my life and then various Psalms, not the entire Psalms, but various Psalms I read fairly regularly. But since there's 31 uh, chapters in this book, I've often read the chapters with each corresponding day, and many of you probably have done that. You'll see that in, in study Bibles as a recommendation. Uh, and I'll do that as devotional time or in addition to another book that I'm reading. Let's say I'm reading Romans, but I would also read some of the Proverbs or the entire Proverbs of that chapter, depending on the amount of time, uh, but either in place of or in concert with other books of the Bible that I'm personally reading through. So this book is really good if you're not doing that and you say, man, I, I, I have 15 minutes, what can I do? Look at the date, grab that proverb, and get right into it. Uh, now, that's not all you want to do. God wants you to get into the rest of his word too, but I'm saying this is a good place to start. And there are many good devotional books. When you think of uh, devotions that are out there. I have some from Tozer. I have some from Spurgeon. I have some from Martin Luther. I have some from Oswald Chambers. Many of you probably have some of these. Pastor Chuck, just to name a few. Uh, but all of those devotional books in our life should be complementary, not the centerpiece of our study. Complementary to our study of God's Word, not the centerpiece of our study of God's Word. Um, the Scriptures, the reason is the Scriptures uh, have a power in a depth that's not found in any book written by man. And I love many of the books written by man. Don't get me wrong. I have a ton of books at the house. My wife and I, it's like we're competing for shelf space in the house. Uh, I love books that are written by godly men and women, but uh, they're not a replacement for the scriptures. Uh, they simply are additive, and they can be augmenting to a study. But uh, reading a few verses from Proverbs uh, every day or reading an entire chapter from Proverbs uh, in, in concert with devotions, in concert with other books the Bible you're reading is, is a great parallel uh, in your life uh, to hearing uh, wisdom alongside what other things you're reading. And it's a really good thing that you might want to start doing if you haven't been doing it. Uh, but when you read Proverbs, when you read Proverbs on a regular basis, you'll start to notice where Proverbs actually shows up in other passages of Scripture. You'll be reading the New Testament like, where have I heard that concept before? You'll read something that Paul wrote or something that's in, in the epistles, and you're like, that seems like a familiar concept. Some of those things come right back uh, to what was written in the book of Proverbs. And you'll see it in the Old Testament, other, other books of the Bible too, because some of what Solomon writes uh, wasn't new, uh, but God had him write in a different format. It might have been something that Moses had already touched on or... Uh, David, his own father, and others. I want to give you a little background uh, on this book before we, uh, before we look at these opening verses that we read. Uh, the words of Proverbs, uh, they were authored nearly 3,000 years ago, uh, almost entirely by King Solomon, who ruled Israel for 40 years 
uh, from 971 B.C. to 931 B.C. Uh, chapter 30 was written by uh, someone named Augur, which we don't really know much about him, but uh, that was chapter 30. And then chapter 31 was written by Lemuel, which very well may have been Solomon. We don't know if that was a second name. Uh, just like Peter has a couple of names in the New Testament, Lemuel could have been one of Solomon's uh, names, but uh, it could have been a different individual altogether. Uh, the book was assembled in its current form uh, during or after the reign of King Hezekiah. So even though Solomon authored these, spoke these proverbs, they weren't compacted into the book until sometime King Hezekiah or later. And Solomon, in addition to writing almost the entirety of Proverbs, just with the exception of those two chapters, uh, Solomon also wrote Psalm chapter 72. He also wrote Psalm chapter 127, as well as he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which many of you probably have read. He wrote the book of Song of Solomon as well. So all but two chapters in Proverbs, and he wrote two chapters in Psalms, and he wrote Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. He likely wrote Proverbs before he himself wandered away from God. I don't know if you have been that familiar with Solomon's life, but uh, he started out completely dedicated on fire in love, desiring nothing but God. But later, uh, he actually, um, one weakness he did have was he followed the kings of the world who married multiple wives, which is not what God wanted him to do. Uh, for all the wisdom, he's the wisest man who's ever lived except for Jesus. As, as far as just knowing how to do different things and situations, he would have, God would just give him instantaneous wisdom how to solve things. And yet it shows with all that wisdom, the weakness, he followed the rest of the kings of the world. They all had multiple wives. He did the same thing. But that's not how he started out. And so we believe that he wrote uh, the Proverbs early in his life, and then later, we believe he wrote Ecclesiastes after he comes to his senses and realizes that those things, pursuing pleasure, was really a big mistake. And uh, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And then the book of Song of Solomon, which is a picture of marriage, but also it has typology as a picture of of Christ in the church. So you, if you read the book Song of Solomon, it really does app, application for marriage relationship, but also uh, us in the, as being the bride of Christ. We believe he wrote that very early in his life when he was coming into marriage as a young man. According to 1 Kings uh, chapter 4, verse 32, Solomon spoke 3,000 recognized proverbs, 3,000 of them. In that, uh, but here in the book of Proverbs, only between 500 and 800 are recorded. Some are repetitive. Uh, so if, he would have, if, the, if all of them had been recorded, we'd have a much larger book, 3,000-some uh, uh, Proverbs that he spoke. Uh, the passage in 1 Kings 4 also notes that Solomon wrote 1,005 songs. Mus his, his dad, David, was very musical as well. David was a musician. He also wrote poetry. Uh, David, was his dad was quite a guy, also a warrior. Uh, Solomon, the wisest king that's ever lived, but also uh, not only did he write these Proverbs, but he also wrote 
music. The word proverbs mean the word proverb means a very terse maxim. Something that you can depend on. These are short, dependable, compact truths that are meant to be built upon in our life. Kind of like building blocks. Kind of like Legos. They all snap together. First time I've ever mentioned Legos from the pulpit. No idea where that came from, but... Precept upon precept, they're fitted... And they're complementary to, to each other for guidance. So the Proverbs, as you build through the book, these things are complementary. You're building on the foundations that have been laid. And it just it's kind of like um, on your smartphone or uh, maybe in your car, you have GPS. Proverbs you can think of as a book that gives you turn-by-turn navigation. It's a good way of looking at the book. But you, if you have turn-by-turn navigation, whether you have it turned on or you're looking at it on a screen... You can't just hear the turn-by-turn navigation and see the turn-by-turn navigation. You have to actually follow the turn-by-turn navigation for it to be of any value. That makes sense? Otherwise, why even have it? Dr. Chuck Missler, he says, Proverbs is to our practical life what Psalms is to our devotional life. So Psalms is a, is a great book that really kind of touches the heart, and, and kind of really examines. Uh, but Proverbs gives a lot of practical. Now, it's not only practical, just like Psalms is not only devotional. Uh, but again, they're weighted in that direction. Much of Proverbs can be convicting as well. But again, there's a lot of practical guidance here. Some key words that are in the book. There's some key words. Wisdom, 52 times. Knowledge, 38 times, understanding, 25 times. Those are uh, some of the key words that you'll see. They're not the only ones, but some of the ones that will show up the most often. If you look at it from an outline perspective or a blueprint of the book, uh, chapter 1 through uh, 9, 18 there, wisdom for young people. I know all of you feel young, so you should, this should apply well to you as well. The thing about being young, even the Bible says that, uh, we, that for men, that we're to love the wise of our youth. So in certain respect, God wants us to stay young, uh, enthusiastic, always have that first love that Jesus writes about in the book of Revelation, that first love. So even though it's wisdom for the young, uh, we're all to be young at heart. This applies to us for the whole lifetime. But it really is great instruction. The first nine chapters, parents and grandparents... You can really use these first nine chapters to really instruct young people. Solomon was given this wisdom on how to train them up at a certain age. And you know, Proverbs is where it says that when they're old, they'll not depart from these things. And then you have wisdom for all people. It's kind of more congregational in its, in its writing. Again, all these things apply to us. But as he writes, he starts with, my children. My son. You'll see that language in the first chapter there. Speaking of my son. Don't, do not forget your mother's law. These kind of sp- parents speaking to child. Now, by the way, Jesus speaks to us that way too. Little children, he says. To us, not just to little children. So these things apply to us. Then all, and then last, a wisdom for leaders. Uh, God desires all of us to grow in leadership capability. Now, not everyone will bear the same titles in life. 
but God wants to train up everyone to be kings and priests uh, from respect perspective of being able to properly lead. Uh, God will raise your responsibility as you and I uh, obey and follow what he's told us to do. So those are some of the, uh, some of the things you can look at from an outline perspective. And then we want to look at um, the themes in the books, certain themes. There's others, but these are just some of the predominant ones. Uh, wisdom, of course, God's intent that we walk in wisdom. Relationships. Who doesn't need help in this country in relationships? All you got to do is look at uh, the mess that we see in home life and uh, just uh, you know, all the, some of the TV shows and things out there. Uh, God gives his definition of what a godly relationship looks like and guidance for those things. Uh, speech. What we say, Jesus said, uh, out of the mouth proceeds the desires of the heart. So what, what's coming out of our mouth tells a lot about what's inside of us. So speech is very important. God wants our speech to be seasoned with salt. Speak as the oracles of God, the scriptures tell us. Work. Important that we develop a diligent work ethic. Even in the Garden of Eden, before there was sin, there was already tending the garden. Work is not a curse. Even when we get to heaven, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord forever. It won't be a curse. It'll be a blessing. And then lastly, success. True success is really found in obedience to God. True success is God's favor upon us living according to his will and according to his word. Those are some of the theme. Now, we have some promises and some warnings in the book of Proverbs, recurring promises and recurring warnings. Generally, and again, this is not when a proverb is not a 100%, this is basically things that you can build your life upon, but God in his um, providence will do different things at different times that will kind of break a model. For example, there's only been one virgin birth. God broke the model. But generally speaking, that will never happen again, right? (laughs) More than generally speaking, we know that won't. But one time he floods the whole world. But Proverbs are principles that you can build on that generally speaking, these things if followed, honor thy father and mother that what? Your days will be long upon the earth. Does that verse still ring true or not? Well, it should ring true because from God's perspective, it still is true. You know, I sometimes will tell young people, I'm speaking at a middle school next week uh, and to the Fellowship Christian Athletes there. If you're speaking to young people, tell them, hey, you want to live a long life? Obey mom and dad. Have a really good attitude. Solomon gives a lot of tips on how you can avoid some unnecessary pain. If you smoke crack, bad things will probably happen to your body. That's fairly obvious, right? If you drink bottle after bottle after bottle, you probably will develop cirrhosis of the liver. And we can go on and on down the list of things that automatically cause harm to us. So generally speaking, those that actually obey God will live longer. But not every single time. Bad things happen to godly people too. But these are general principles. Those that obey God will prosper. Does it mean that you'll be rich? You will prosper in ways that God determines for you. Doesn't mean that it'll be the exact way as everybody else, 
but you'll feel the hand of God upon you when you obey the Lord. And you'll, know, you'll have a clean conscience. You'll have a walk with the Lord. You'll have a prospering in the way that other people wouldn't understand because it's spiritual in nature. But it can actually be otherwise too. God could cause your business to prosper. He could, But generally speaking, we will prosper when we follow these things. Those that obey God will experience joy. It's a real bummer when I see Christians that have no joy. I'm bummed out for them because it's not God's plan for their life. And certainly, they're not going to win anyone to Christ that way. I hate to tell you. You're going to have a hard time convincing anyone to come and follow Jesus. When they've been watching you, and you look like you've been drinking sour lemons all day, but if we follow the things of the Lord, we'll actually have joy. We'll be able to spread joy to people. And then we see this last one, those who, uh, this is a warning, and it's all throughout Proverbs. If you've read Proverbs, you've seen how many times Solomon, uh, there's carrot and stick, right? Carrot, good. Do these things, you'll, you'll have the reward of God. Stick, do these things. Well, chastening would be a good thing, but if you really are completely rebellious and resistant to God, it's more than just chastening. It ultimately will end in death. You saw what the last verse was. It says, it takes away, those that are greedy, it takes away their life. They thought they were going to take away others' life, but God said ultimately it will cost your own. So we see this recurring theme of judgment and death to those that are foolish and rejecting God. So we want to look first at what to know. Taking notes tonight. What to know here in chapter 1. You can break it down. Most of your Bibles, it probably is broken down in, in the majority of your Bibles in 1 through 7. That's kind of the what to, uh, what to know section that we'll look at tonight. And then we have what to avoid, verses 8 through 19. When we think about what to know, God wants us, Christian, this is so important for us. God does not want us living by feelings. He wants us to live by faith. Paul writes in Romans, so then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Your feelings will lie to you a lot. Your feelings are generally irrelevant in the sense that if they don't line up scriptures, you can pretty much ignore them. So in other words, feelings, I was driving here, and I had one of Chesterfield's finest slide in behind me. It doesn't matter if I feel I'm going 45 in a 45. I better be going 45 in a 45. So the speedometer is fact. My feelings are not that relevant. I feel like I'm going 20, but I'm really only going 45. Feelings. He's going to go through these things and say, hey, these are the things to anchor your life to. They're not based on feelings. They're coming from God. And if you follow them, you're going to see rich reward in your life. Verse 2, he says, so we know who the introduction is. We've already talked about who the author is. Uh, Verse 2, to know wisdom, he gets right into it. This is why I'm writing this, is what Solomon is saying. Hey, if anyone's wondering why I'm writing this, here's the deal. Verse 1, to know wisdom and instruction. To know it. To know it. God wants us to know genuine wisdom and understand. There's a lot of things out there that's called wisdom. 
People writing all kinds of books. Both Christian authors and definitely unsaved authors. Go to Barnes and Noble or Amazon and look at all the books that the people of the world would consider. This is really why. You've got to read it. It's life-changing. And it's a rehash of something that's written in 75 and 85 and 95. And genuine wisdom, genuine understanding. Because a lot of what comes into our ears is not genuine wisdom and understanding. It's the wisdom of man. But it's not, unless it comes from God, wisdom from God is supernatural in nature. Wisdom from man is the best he can come up with based on his experience and observation. God doesn't have wisdom based on experience and observation. His wisdom is fact from his throne. He didn't experience to come up with this. He's telling, this is the way I designed you, and this is what you need for life. John says in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test spirits whether they are from God. We're able to know. We can, we have, as we grow in the Lord and we have his wisdom, we have this filter. You guys have water filters that, you know, we have one, in our, we put it in, it's got the chalk, uh, I mean the charcoal thing, and, and all the impurities come through it. And the longer you're saved, you have this filter that the Holy Spirit makes. Instead of most of our filters, they get worse over time, you're going to buy a new one, right? You've got to pull the other one out, put a new charcoal filter in. But when you're saved, the opposite happens. The longer you're saved, that charcoal filter that actually is able to detect, that's not true. That's from the enemy. That's a lie. Your detection goes way up, not the other way around, to know these things. That, he would, that we would know wisdom. We would know instruction. We know what instruction from God is versus from ourselves. Many Christians today, they fully function the exact same way as the unsafe world. Functionally. They might would say, well, no, 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 I, I go to church. I do this, I do that. But functionally, they operate the same as the unsaved world because they really follow the world's pattern of instruction. Oh, everyone else does this, so I guess I'm supposed to do it. I thought, uh, well, they said that uh, travel soccer means that I'll miss uh, uh, all but two Sundays this year. I guess i got to do it, Right? Now, God wouldn't necessarily give you that advice, but the guy running the program would. So these are the kind of things that functionally are we able to discern what God's saying versus what man is saying, to perceive uh, the words of understanding. We would know what understanding is versus what it isn't. Look at verse 3. Uh, to receive instruction, to receive I want to circle that word in your Bible. Christian, are you teachable? Do you really receive? Do you receive instruction? I try and be, I, I try and be as teachable as I possibly can. Lord, if I have to learn from a five-year-old today, right? turn on the radio and it's Dr. Charles Stanley and there's something, well, I hadn't heard that before. Or, or I've heard it before and I'd forgotten it. I open the Bible and a verse I've read a thousand times and God said, shows it to me differently to receive. Are you teachable? Are we teachable? You should be able to look at it. One of the ways you know you're teachable is you should be able to take an inventory of your life. Even over the last year, take, take the last several months or year, you should be able to take an inventory of your life 
And you should be able to compile a list of things you have added that you know God had you add, things you have modified that you know he had you modify, things he had you change, you know he had you change, based on either the Word of God or teaching you've received or people that God's put in your life. You should be able to have that inventory and say, wow, yeah, I had to change that. Because God is constantly, like we're a wood block, he is constantly changing the shape. Constantly. Well, I kind of reached spiritual maturity five years ago. And I stayed there for, because I'm, I've arrived. It's not scriptural. We'd be able to do that. That's a teachable spirit. Things you once overlooked, God says you can't overlook that anymore. Things you once had blind spots, now you see the blind spots. Teachable, you're receiving instruction. You're able to have someone say, you know, when I was younger, I was really unteachable. My parents can attest to this. My teachers could attest. I was at the principal's office plenty because of this. Uh, my coaches could attest. Hold the bat. I don't want to hold the bat that way. I know what I'm doing. Strike out, right? It didn't matter what it was. I was a very unteachable individual. God has a way of getting our attention to make us teachable. We're bet, uh, we move on here. Take a look at uh, verses 4 and 5 or the rest of verse 3, justice, judgment, and equity. Justice, judgment, equity, God will give us, he wants to give us a better understanding of justice from God's perspective. Uh, When people understand justice from God's perspective, you actually get much healthier governments. Equity. Equity from God's perspective. It's impossible to lead people without a correct understanding, understanding of judgment. You judge the right things. You know, we've got, uh, we've got a country that is completely upside down uh, when it comes to judgment. We will go after people from a government perspective for the dumbest, silliest, unimportant things, but we can murder millions of babies like it's nothing. This is an incorrect understanding of justice, an incorrect understanding of what God considers right. We've got it all wrong. So when you look at these things, and you look at the way that uh, we have a venomous attacking of things that are really unimportant, even innocuous. But then you have things that really are wickedness, and nobody cares. It's an incorrect understanding of justice and equity. And Well, God will make those scales right at the end of the age. People that are actually uh, running the show, if you will, will find that um, they were on the wrong side, which we'll look at in just a few minutes. But we need to understand, and we need to be able to teach that to young people and others. Say, no, 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 no. Your, your judgment on this is wrong because you're judging it based on what's popular, not based on what is actually in Scripture, what God has actually said. Look at verse 4. To give prudence to the simple, the young man in knowledge and discretion. By the way, we're not going to go as detailed in the other verses intentionally. I wanted to look more at these first seven because I think... The other verses, when it comes to what uh, is what is the intent of the enemy of pulling our young people and any and any person actually into sin, they're more self-explanatory. These I wanted to dive into a little bit so we uh, really understand them. But verse four here, to give prudence to the simple, what does this mean? Uh, well, the simple uh, would be the young, could be any of the following: the young people, 
I know teenagers supposedly know everything, but they really don't. I have two in my house. I have to gently, gently explain this. The young, it, uh, when we think of the simple, the naive, which is often the young as well, uh, those that would accept anything as true. You ever hear people say, you just need to have an open mind. I do have an open mind to what God wants to put in my mind, but I don't have an open mind to everything, right? Those that just accept anything is true, those that are easily fooled. This can also be, uh, if it, when we get to the New Testament, we could see baby Christians could fit here. They're brand new. Jehovah's Witness walks up and says, Hi, I am here with Jesus Christ, and I'm going to tell you about the latter days. Could be naive. Very limited knowledge of the Scripture, and certainly the unsaved as well. They have uh, what the Scripture would consider ignorance of God's truth. So all of these would apply to the simple, but God's desire is to give wisdom or enlightening light bulb moments to anyone who before couldn't see what God was saying. Like all of a sudden, poof, I understand now why that makes sense. To give wisdom or prudence. To the simple, God wants to give his guidance to everyone, not a select few, but all. The heart of God is to reach the young, because the most, the most uh, pure kind of focus here would be the, the simple being young and naive. God wants us to reach people when they're young. That's why we love children's ministry. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. Get them while they're young before they become really, really obstinate and stubborn to the voice of God. And he goes on, verse 5, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. So a wise man will hear you out. A wise man will be open to the mirror of God saying, you still have flaws. A wise man really says, Lord, show me. David would use to, David, Solomon's dad would pray, Lord, search me and know me. And David was a man after God's own heart, but he said, I still have a lot of flaws. Help me pass them. A wise man will hear an increase in learning. And a man of counsel will attain, wise, uh, a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Men that are wise seek the counsel of other men. If you're a man and you don't seek Godly counsel from other... If you can't remember the last time you sought wise counsel from other men, that should be something you make note of. Wise men seek counsel from other men. I will reach out to people by text, email, set conference calls, get together and say, what do you guys think about this? Because wise men seek counsel from others to grow. We need more wisdom. Jesus also said, he who has, more will be given. Remember? And then he who does not have, even when he has, will be taken away. The spiritual spiritual mature, they're always learning. They're always changing. The spiritually mature, they're always growing. They're always applying what God is showing as they grow. Godly men and women, if this is in your vernacular, and I hope it's not anymore, but maybe it used to be. Godly men and women are not set in their ways. Godly men and women are not set in their ways. Because God doesn't let us settle in our ways. He has us walk in 
his way, which will invariably change us time and time again. Just like the skin is on your, on your arm is not the same skin. Those cells have changed a lot of times just in the last few weeks. God does the same work. He's changing us from glory to glory. Giving us, if we're applying, an increase in knowledge, an increase in understanding, an increase in new vision, an increase in more love, an increase in more patience, all of these things, fruits of the Spirit in the New Testament. Now, the things that he's added, I'm not just talking about intellect, not just talking about raw intelligence. There's a lot of people in this world that have really high IQs that have zero wisdom. And the sad reality is some of them will end up in hell for all eternity, but they were brilliant from an intellectual standpoint. They might have invented things. They might run companies. They might rule nations. None of that stuff is wisdom. Intellect is not what he's talking about. He's talking about the knowledge that comes from God. The more, uh, the more we know about what God intends us to know in life, Think about this. The more we know about what God intends us to know in life, it'll either be a blessing to us, more knowledge from God will either be a blessing, it'll either be a stumbling block, or it'll be a burden. How can you say that? More knowledge about God, the more you sit under godly teaching, the more you read a Bible, the more you listen to Christian radio station, the more you know what to do but don't do it, that, in other words, the more you receive, it'll either be a blessing because as you receive it, you're drinking it in. It's not like a cup of water that's just sitting there on the table. You're dying of thirst. You're actually drinking it. Or sitting there looking at it will make you thirstier and thirstier and it's a heavy burden. Or it's a stumbling block altogether because then you're just puffed up with knowledge. And you're just, you're just on, on around cracking people over the head with knowledge. But there's no... Love, there's no Holy Spirit involved. So those are the three things that, uh, again, knowledge should be changing us, not just having uh, information. You guys remember Calvin and Hobbes? Comics here from the 80s and 90s. Um, Calvin was talking to Hobbes. He said, the more you know, the harder it is to take decisive action. Once you become informed, you start seeing complexities and shades of gray. You realize that nothing is as clear and simple as it first appears. Ultimately, knowledge is paralyzing. Being a man of action, I can't afford to take that risk, and he tosses the book. Hobbes says, you're ignorant, but at least you took action on it. Because it's not to toss the knowledge that God's given, it's to finally apply the knowledge that God has given Because if you don't apply it, it is paralyzing. It is debilitating. It is a burden. It does give a guilty conscience because you know what to do. You're still not doing it. God's laws. One second here. God's laws that we see in Proverbs, again, they're not based on feelings. They're not based on our opinion. And we see this next verse Verse 7. Oh, by the way, in verse 6, just, just, to, uh, just a quick point on verse 6. It says, to understand a proverb and enigma, the words, the wise and riddles, 
These are what Solomon's talking about here, and this is a great teaching technique, is to ask people questions that they have to think through to answer. Because when you ask people questions they have to think through to answer, it sounds like a riddle to them, but God is getting to the heart of where they're really at. I love to ask people questions, especially young people, but not just other people. Like, so what, what do you think God is trying to do in your life in this situation? And just sit back and let the pregnant pause of silence stay there as long as is needed. Because they have to work through and that's what he's saying. That we, but God does this to us. He poses questions to us. And we, Jesus have, would always say, have you not read? Answer me this. Remember how Jesus would do this? Oftentimes he would ask a question and they would be stunned with silence. And that's a great technique that God does with us as well. He does it when we read the word. That's verse 6. Verse 7. Last verse in this section here. This verse... This rule that he says, if followed, we can, uh, we can know for certainty that if we would have the fear of the Lord, that knowledge, God's knowledge from his throne is coming our way. This is the key verse in the whole book of Proverbs right here, verse 7. Christian, here is a question. Do you have the fear of the Lord in your life? If you were to stand before the Lord Jesus, would you be able to say, yes, I have the fear of the Lord in my life? Do we really fear God? Not fear like petrified of him, like a kid that's been abused by their parent. God does, he's not a, God's not an abusive parent. He's a loving parent. That's not the fear we're talking about. That's evil. That's sin. God cannot sin to a single person. So that's not the fear he's talking about. But are we in awe of him? Do we look up to him like the players at Alabama look up to their head football coach and know, I think I'll run whatever play I want and know that there will be another program that they will soon be on, right? A healthy fear that you have of your boss, to know that if he says, I need you here at three, you say, well, I'll show up when I want to. Because I'm an adult. I make my own decisions. Yes, you do. You just decided not to work here anymore. Right? Do we have a healthy fear of the Lord? Are we in awe of him? Or do we kind of yawn at him and tip him with our time and tip him with our talent and tip him with our treasure? See, the true fear of the Lord produces purity. It produces obedience. It produces commitment. It produces perseverance. It produces boldness. It produces joy. And it produces a complete disdain for our own flesh. Not everybody else's flesh. Our flesh. A total disdain for it. And it gives us a total disdain and hatred of sin. Not a hatred of sinners. Hatred of sin. See, pseudo-fear produces a pseudo-walk of faith. It's a thin shell. It's easily upset. It's easily angered. It's easily uh, take my ball and go home. Easily bothered. Easily offended. Easily gives up. It's a pseudo faith. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Remember every time, there's another 
take on fear here. Because there's more than one perspective on this. Every time an angel shows up in the Bible, people are petrified. Knees knocking together. They feel like they're going to die. What do the angels always say? Fear not. So again, it's another illustration of it's a different kind of fear we're talking about here. That kind of fear doesn't come from God. That kind of fear comes from Satan and our own fallen nature. We are afraid of irrational things, but we're also just generally afraid, and that's why people build their own little lives rather than trusting God because they're afraid of what would happen if they trusted God. There's no fear, there's no belief that he's actually greater than their problems. Perfect love, the Bible says what? Cast out fear. So additionally, we, when we don't fear God, we actually fall prey to all the other fears. When we don't fear God, we fear everything else. It's the opposite of faith. Spurgeon said, the fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears before it. Don't you want that kind of faith? It chases the other fear. That comes from starting with just having a fear of the Lord. Say, Lord, I want you to be like the sun would be if it came an inch closer to the earth. Just consume everything else with blindness. That God, I put you above everything else. But lastly, the fear of the Lord, it gives us deeper knowledge of the will and the heart of God. We know what the will of God is. It's in your hand. But to know the will of God up here and to know it here is two different things. So the more you have the fear of the Lord, God, the verse is just, you ever woke up and something finally just made sense? Probably, remember when you're back in the, you're back in high school and you were studying a certain math equation or you're studying something and you went to bed, it made no sense what to you whatsoever. And you woke up after seven hours sleep or something and all of a sudden, it made sense. This is what God does at the spirit level. The more we have a fear of him, all of a sudden, it all starts to come together. You're like, oh, I know now why he wrote what he wrote, why he's organized our life in this way. It says it's the beginning of knowledge. Christian, this is only the beginning. This is just the opening gate. God says, I have a lot more to teach you. This is the beginning of knowledge. He has a lot more to teach us and a lot of all eternity to do it. But this knowledge, this knowledge he's talking about is the beginning of knowledge. This is transformational knowledge, not informational knowledge. It's not like not, I have a knowledge of real estate, or I have a knowledge of banking, or you have a knowledge of cooking, or you have a knowledge of sewing, or you have a knowledge of a hobby. Those things are informational, and they can be helpful, but they're not transformational. They're not soul-changing. This transforms us spiritually. So this is what Solomon's opening prologue says. This is what God wants for you, my son, for you, my daughter, He wants you to experience this kind of relationship and God transforming and you seeing things from his perspective and you walking in a way that his favor will be upon you in life. But then we have what we'll close with. And we don't need to spend near as much time with this. I wanted to spend more time on the carrot part because I believe that God really wants you to do this thing. We know what to avoid. Since kids, we probably have heard the Ten Commandments. We know lying's wrong. 
We know adultery is wrong. We know using God's name in vain is wrong. We know all of those things. Why are people so attracted to it all? Us too. Because we have a sin nature. And so he speaks to his sons like, you're going to have to anchor yourself to the things that are true, not your feelings. You're going to feel like sinning. Right? It would be a sin if God told you to be here tonight and you chose not to be here tonight. Now, that's not in our mind when we look at morality. That's not near as bad as a bunch of other things we could have done or not done. True? Say, all right, that's not that big a deal. A little I blew it off kind of moment. But if you knew, if you felt like, and, we, and we've had testimonies from some of you recently that said, you know, I was going to stay home, uh, whether it was a Friday night fellowship or it was this or that, and you said, I just wasn't, and then I, God just wouldn't let me do it. And you responded, that was wisdom. It was wisdom. Jesus, uh, Matthew chapter 25, wise virgins, foolish virgins. Wise ones were compelled to go fill up their lamps. Foolish ones said, I'll do it later. But later was too late, right? So he's saying, look, fools despise wisdom. They basically hear it. That sounds like a good idea, but I would rather do something else. Parent tells child, hey, why don't you eat these vegetables? No, I'd rather eat a giant box of taffy. Go for it. How will you feel later, right? Not too good. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. But he says, my son, hear this instruction. Do not forsake the law. Don't go by feelings. Don't go by what's popular. Don't go by what your friends, well, my friends used to follow God, but now they've been enlightened because they went to university so-and-so. How many kids go away to college? They used to believe the scriptures. Now they don't anymore. They're all of a sudden smarter than God. Stick to what is true, not what sounds pretty good. That's why people, by the way, the reason people are attracted to things that sound pretty good is it usually allows them a license to do what they actually want to do, right? So when the government comes along and passes new laws and says, this qualifies as marriage, this qualifies as this, this qualifies as this, great! I've always wanted to do my own thing. Thank you for the license. But there's actually a law higher than government, and it's called God's law. And it never changes. Just like gravity never changes, just like the law of thermodynamics never changed, just like any scientific law, they stay constant, so does God's law. And these things are to be avoided that he speaks of. There's what's, there is what's to gain. That's what we looked at in the first seven verses. God changing us from glory to glory, maturing us, that's great gain. But then there's also, Christian, there will always be those things to resist. There is a good, healthy fear of the Lord to know that our God is a righteous, holy God that will not tolerate sin. So even if you you can't seem to say no to the flesh because it's so strong, say no because you'd have to stand before God on judgment day and give an account for what you knew was categorically wrong and did it anyway. These things he writes here to run from. Verse 11, if they say, come with us, 
lie with us. Let us leak. Uh, basically, Solomon's saying, hey, if a bunch of young people say, hey, let's go do these things because everyone else is doing them, you've got to resist those things. You've got to turn from them. Not just then, but for the rest of your life. Do you realize uh, it's not, when I was in high school, I had friends that were really bad influence in my life. And then later I realized I was a really bad influence on their life. Then when I got saved, and I was in the business world for like 15 years, I realized that there were a lot of men that I used to travel with that would be a really bad influence on my life, except for I love Jesus, and I was an influence on their life. And so when they'd say, hey, let's go to the strip club, I'd say, you can go, I'm not going. I'll be back at my hotel reading a Bible. And I really would say things like that. That would really ruin their night, I know. (laughs) But I was trying to ruin their night, in that sense. You'll never get promoted saying these things, by the way. And, but when you get to heaven, you'll get a promotion. Isn't that great to know? You know, just, again, if you're going to, if you're going to live for God, you're going to live for his laws. And, you, and by the way, when you know they're that certain, just like the police officer, follow me, I know for certain I don't want a $75 ticket, that's a good incentive sometimes. And I like those incentives because a good father has a lot of blessings he bestows on his kids, but he has a firm... See, shepherds don't just carry a staff to protect the sheep, but also to corral the sheep. And Jesus will take the staff and whack us pretty good and say, that will land you in hot water. That's good to know. Galatians 5, 22 to 24, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh, its passions desired. Do you realize that you can grow as much as you want in those things? You can eat of that tree all day long. You can keep growing in love. You can keep growing in patience. You can keep growing all those things, but run from sin. There was something, this, man, I, this show really tempts me. Then don't watch it. This really, this really, you know, every time I get the L.L. Bean catalog, I want to buy everything in it. Then throw it away. There's lots of different kinds of temptation out there. This little rhyme popped into my head. I've been doing poetry lately, as you guys know. <laughs> this one's short, and we're coming to a close, but this one's short. But this popped into my head. I was running the other day, and it came to my head. The do's and the don'ts and the cans and can'ts only make sense when one repents. The do's and the don'ts. And the cans and the can'ts only make sense when one repents. Because the world gets agitated at God's don'ts. They hate God's don'ts. What kind of authoritarian figure sits up there and tells us, I can't do anything I want? Well, if ISIS does anything it wants, how is your world going to be? Right? If everyone does everything they want, No one lives or survives to tell about it in the end. If everyone chooses Cain's way, all the Abels are killed. All the marriages are destroyed. All the kids are abused. I mean, it goes on down the line it goes. But the do's and the don'ts make a lot of sense, and the can's and the can'ts make a lot of sense when we've really repented and our heart matches God's heart, don't they? That's when you wake up and you have this aha moment. Oh, now it all makes sense. I know why God did this. Because God's laws and... God's laws regarding sin, they protect us, but they protect everybody else in the process. See, unlike us, God already loves your neighbor. The Bible says, love your neighbor as what? Yourself. 
We have a hard time loving anyone more than ourselves. Be honest. But God already loves everybody else equal to us. He loves your neighbor as much as he loves you. We generally don't love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. That's a, as we grow in the Lord, it becomes more and more real in our life. Last couple things as we wrap it up here. Look at verse 8 and 9. Again, young person, hear instruction. Believer, receive instruction. Be teachable. Hear the instruction. Do not forsake these things. Commit to them. Commit to God's law and just say, God said it, I'm going to do it that way. If you're a married person, you just flat out say, we will never get divorced. It doesn't exist in our language. Just say that. And stand by it. The law of God over feelings. Put it around your neck. Just like people at their their job, they get the ID card, they put it around their neck because if they put it on their belt, it falls off eventually. Put it around the neck. Verses Verse 10, real quickly, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Sinners will always try and entice us. Hollywood's trying to entice you. Madison Avenue's trying to entice you. Satan knows where you're vulnerable. He'll entice you where you're vulnerable. But do not consent. Stand firm in the Lord. And it won't happen overnight or in one moment. Usually... That's why the verses continue to go on. If they say this, if they say this, if they say this, if they say this, because they're relentless. Satan is relentless. He will continue coming at you. And that's why you need to be here on a Wednesday night. Because you're getting five days of the world saying one thing, God says you need a break from that. I found that years ago, and that's long before I was a pastor, we realized that we needed a midweek pit stop at the oasis of the Bible. Doesn't happen overnight. But if you play around with sin, you will catch on fire. If you play around with sin, eventually you'll catch on fire. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. If you spend more time of your available free time with people that are not building you up, that's not a good thing either. How do you spend all your free time? Oh, I play racquetball with this guy, this guy. Are there any of them saved? No, none of them are saved. Are you witnessing him? No. Okay. Well, we see who's witnessing to who. Right? That's what Solomon's saying to his son. Hey, don't run, don't run that way. And then we close it. So are the ways of everyone who's greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owner. God says in the end, this foolishness of not receiving his instruction is really... The end of ourselves, isn't it? God wants us to walk in wisdom, doesn't he? To receive his instruction, to grow and to mature. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this time tonight. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would take this study over the next, uh, however long it goes as we go through these 31 chapters. Take the foundation laid tonight, our understanding of the book and our understanding of The key verse of this whole study, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of knowledge. Lord, I pray that tonight is just the starting point of us growing to be more like you. We all have a long ways to go. And Lord, we pray that uh, we'd be teachable, we'd be pliable. Lord, we'd be hearing from your spirit. And Lord, we'd be responding with, yes, Lord, I want to be more like you. We want your favor on our life. And Lord, we want to prosper in the ways that you've designed for us to do so. 
keep us from sin, even cleanse us and forgive us of things that we may be carried in here tonight. And we love you and we desire to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Uh, Guatemala.